1: It's the True Faith Podcast. Alex Hurst, Simon Campbell, Ben Wade and Adam Widgerton here to talk to you about Newcastle United's 3-1 defeat to Champions-elect Manchester City. Um, we're going to jump straight in. Ben, 3-1 defeat, would you have taken that before kick-off?
2: Um, it's, it was, I think looking at the, the two sides, uh, after and especially after the result last time, it was always going to be a damage limitation. Um, Rafa's said time and time again about the lack of uh, quality in the team and I think um, it, it was just a case of yeah we've just got to just try and get out without taking an absolute hammering um, which we've, we've done and actually at times I mean again the, the game plan from the first um, game we actually ended up creating a couple of chances towards the end of the match and it it uh, nearly came, came, um, came off again I thought There was a sort of ten fifteen minute spell there where we um, obviously we got the the second goal, uh, sorry, got the goal, sorry, and then there was one or two opportunities to get into it. So I think it's it's as much as we can expect from from this squad of players and uh, what what resources we've got available to us. So um, obviously you're you're never looking to take a defeat, but I I think in the grand scheme of things, that's probably not a terrible result, especially taking into account other results on the day
3: as well. Yeah, I think I think to answer your question, Dogger, you would, you wouldn't take a three-one defeat before the game. That that's just sounds so ridiculous. But the way it panned out and the way we played, three-one is kind of acceptable. And as, as Ben says, when you're reflecting on the rest of the results and and just like we've, we've we've got minus three against Man City. No one else in the bottom half of the table will have minus three against Man City over two games. So that's not bad,
1: really. Well, Palace got a point against them. But apart from them, uh, yeah, they got beat far. I think. No, got... but
4: then look at look at Palace getting absolutely. I mean, we've got to think about. And I, I've I've said this for the last couple of months as well. It's it's how we're getting beat when we do get beat, and I don't think. I think what we have among among most of the other over the other clubs in the in the bottom half of the table, is a mental strength and, and a togetherness. You see teams now absolutely capitulate. Watford, Marco Silva's gone. You look at Crystal Palace, four <laughs> 0 You look at. Um, you look at Brighton getting tongued 4 0 They're getting these are drubbings. Yet, I think that you know, in in defeat, we can pick out so many positives from from the game yesterday. And yes, it was certainly at by half time. It was almost an identical first half to to, to, to the to the reverse fixture at St James's Park. One-nil down, but we you know we we did have a chance at our end, and we were very proactive in the second half. I I think that even despite, these, as I said, despite these defeats, we we still look, this isn't going to shake our confidence. We're just going to dust ourselves off and move on to the next one. It's a huge game against Burnley. I don't think this is going to shatter our confidence, but when a team gets absolutely annihilated 4-0, that's a completely, it's a different kind of defeat, if you you get what I'm saying.
1: I do. And uh, I think that for the first half, particularly, despite the commentators saying how easy it was for Manchester City, bar the sterling offside goal... Um, they didn't they didn't actually cause us too many problems, did they, before the goal? I mean, Darlow pulled off a couple nah. of handy saves, but it, it really was. I think we're really through them with the five at the back. And I think that for all there's talk of us being negative and 18%, I, I thought what was different in the first game is that when Man City had the ball further up towards their own goal, we did want to press them there and try and force the mistake. And that was maybe more positive than their home game. Obviously, as soon as they got into our half, were backed off. Um, we kind of gave them space to play, but I suppose it's disappointing for me, and it's it's always going to happen because, you know, the whole defence played great, however, allowing Sergio Aguero, the free header in in the box, is poor, is um, it's Manquillo for the first goal, let's De Bruyne cut in and put that cross in without really putting a challenge in, that was disappointing, but yeah, in, in terms of the sense of the whole first half, I thought we were relatively untroubled, um, yeah, so I
2: mean, we, me and Side said that, we watched it together, and we said that um, that really on the like when you look at the um, the performance of Man City that you, you can't think of too many sort of guilt edged chances that have created. So again, I thought we we negated them pretty well. And I, I I'll tell you who played really well in a role that he's not familiar with, but a uh, Hayden I thought was um, was brilliant in sort of dropping in as a sort of the, the third centre back. Um, there's a couple of um, sort of moments where he. he he had a good uh, sort of interception or um, sort of was in the right place at the right time so I think in that type of game um, it's you, you, you'll take that
1: yeah, so I think uh, Man City weren't
4: exactly um, firing on all cylinders you know, De Bruyne was being frustrated he skied one from a free kick Cal Walker skied one awfully like, you, you're right they were they, they were dominating possession as you would expect, they were creating some chances but they just didn't seem to have that That cutting edge, obviously, until um, that incredible cross from De Bruyne. But which, yes, you're right. It should have been closed down. There was three men kind of around him, but they didn't seem to be the um, the free flowing, gung ho Man City that we've seen of late. It's almost like that defeat against Liverpool had sort of shattered their confidence a little. Yeah, yeah. I I
1: thought as
2: well.
3: Sorry. I
4: thought the game plan
3: worked
4: perfectly. Beyond
3: half time, I thought the game turned on its head on the penalty, which was. Which was just a disaster. I mean, it's debatable whether it was a ve- it was a very very soft penalty, but right up to that point, I thought it was going perfectly. And yeah, the first goal was was a bit sloppy it as it's poor defending to let the cross in. But I don't think Agüero touched it, by the way. So it's a cross that's ended up in. So it's 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 really fortunate. Yeah, and, but for that, I don't really think they were getting in.
1: Yeah, really quickly on the pen. I know Adam on the WhatsApp last night. You were saying blatant pen. <laughs> I'll just I'll just kind of have my say, and I put on Twitter after the game or or during the game even. Dwight Gale not getting a pen against Stoke and them getting awarded that pen it's almost like watching a different sport where there are different oh. rules. And now, obviously, you can't just say, oh, well, Dwight Gale's wasn't a pen, so that wasn't a pen. I don't think it was a pen because he doesn't actually go for the ball, he doesn't actually pull him. Ryan Sterling just falls over and he's wrong side. And I saw someone, I think, reply to the podcast at TF Weekly Pods tweet saying that the, the, the um, referee. Didn't actually think it was a pen, and then all of a sudden you remember it was Newcastle v Man City live on telly, um, okay. and he had, he had to give it for that reason. So <laughs> well, I just, I, think, I just, I just thought it was unbelievably um, hard. It, it was indicative of how the game was going. They
4: certainly in the first half really looked to exploit uh, our right hand side, um, where Mankio was. was and they? They, I mean, at half time, Zinchenko had had more touches than any other player on the pitch. And that was uh, very indicative of, of their of their approach and their strategy and where they were trying to exploit us. And, of course, the, the cross came from that side, the, um, the, the run from Sterling. And, and, look, I think it's a clumsy challenge from Mankeo. It You're right, the Gale one was more stonewall when Zuma sort of just hoied into the ground. But Manquillo has an arm on his shoulder, and it's a clumsy challenge. And because Sterling's running at pace... And the fact that Mancure falls as well, it, I, look, I, I can't blame the... Re- and, and if you look at the reaction of our players as well, there's not one protest after that uh, decision is given. They know it's a penalty. And you're right, Rafa Benitez, in his tactics, can't legislate for his giving away a penalty like that. Um, it, it, you, you really can't. And fair play to Darlo, He did really well on the penalty. He was very close to getting fingertips on it.
1: Certainly. I mean, Si, let's talk about that tactical setup from Rafa. Um you know, we we talked a lot in in pre season when we did the pre season podcast about thinking that we would see a lot more five at the back than we have. I think we've only seen it at uh, Chelsea, and Man City so far. Um, you know, your your thoughts on that tactical setup?
3: Um, I mean, it was close to what we predicted on on the pre match one. So we obviously went for the for the contained setup, we, as as Ben's pointed out. Um, Hayden was flitting between. Sort of Hold a mid and then center back basically when needed. Um, I think the only thing I was disappointed in, and, and again, I, thought, I don't think Matt played as badly as, as it's been described, but I just think that Yedlin, defensively, when you're up against a, a team that's got so much pace, he gives you that, like, that kind of get out of jail free card. If they get in,
4: he can recover. But, um, Um, Wasn't Manchio was hauled off two minutes after giving away that penalty? (laughs) Unceremoniously hauled off for Yedling. I mean, he got done for pace, but
1: it's still a a disgraceful soft pen. He's basically like stroked his back. Move on from the pen. Let's move move on from the pen. Um,
3: Yeah. So the the, the, the lineup have gone for. I was surprised to see Shelby in there. I thought he'd have all the workhorses in, but then Marino's hardly been firing all cylinders. And he gives you that outlet, and he did exactly what we said on the podcast, which was play both Atu and Murphy so that when we did get the ball we had a bit of pace we' had some options to try and get out the half we've got Hoslo up there and we've got Atu and Richie um, Atsu and Murphy sorry who can who can give her a bit of relief and it, it did sort of work we weren't as we didn't spend 45 minutes in our own box like we did in the home the home fixture so it, it was working as I as said like got the goal aside it was it was it was a really good
4: tactical display and, and I think the lineup was was spot on. I, I think yeah as much as we weren't in our own half as much but if you noticed when we did peg them back into their their own final third sorry in our final third their defensive third we did really well in in terms of like um the wingers and Hoslo and even shelvin diarme closing down high pressing but yeah. every single time we did that they managed to escape it quite easily after a couple of passes because they're just a very good possession based side and they were able to break on the counter. They were able to break on the counter very, very easily every single time we did that and we were absolutely exposed. So we that the high pressing was the right thing to do, but we went we were so exposed after that. And every yeah. time that we did that, they had a chance because they countered so effectively. I, I half agree. I half agree.
3: So yeah, we did a lot what we did. Possibly was brilliant in the air, he won he won lots of headers but when he had the ball at his feet, he was giving away a lot of sloppy passes. Atu the same. Murphy as well was was trying to take players on and getting tackled. And as you say, the speed at which that was turned into a Man City attack was quite overwhelming. I think that we benefited from in that situation, Diame was busting out to get back every time. Haley yeah. was busting out to get back every time. And we we did manage to absorb a lot of that pressure, but you're right. Every time we kind of found ourselves in a decent position with with, with a three forwards, because it was kind of a four three three, but obviously with a bit more defensive work, every time we found ourselves somewhere where oh we could, get, could make a half chance here, we just gave the ball away and I think that was just just a it was lack like, of quality. It was like say. they were
4: lulling us into a false sense of security that we yeah. thought we were gaining territory when actually we were allowing them to basically race up the other side of the pitch and force <laughs> us into saves and have bodies flying around everywhere. And I must say on, on that, the defending from the lads, particularly the first half, they were committed And that's when I talk about mental strength. They're fighting for Rafa Benitez because they believe in him and there was bodies thrown everywhere and, you know, Man City can just, they they, they have a deluge of chances and I thought I was really proud of how committed the tackles and bodies flying everywhere, putting faces in the way. It's exactly how it should be when you're down at the bottom of the table. I think, I think just on that point, I think Dior may have me that. I think,
2: again, he's, He's it, obviously there's a lot been made of his performances and he's sort of growing in confidence and whatnot. But again, he he was he was the one that was flying around and, and working really hard. Um, I mean, I, I made the point actually just to sort of disagree a little bit. I thought I felt like the wider players um, Murphy and Atu probably could have done a bit more. Like it's sort of what you were saying, where they were doing the high press, getting um, getting pulled out, and then they would sort of just run away. Too too many times they were sort of just jogging back afterwards. Really, you needed them to, uh, to recover quickly. But I get obviously they were probably tired and, and whatnot. But um, but now I think you're you're right. There was a a few really good performances there, and um, we just we just need more of that going on
1: till the end of the season. I think uh, to compare and contrast to the last time we were relegated, with all what that went on then, you know, we went to the city of Manchester, played against uh, a good Man City team, not as good or anywhere near as good we're faced now and we're capitulated 6-1 and it could have been it could have been 10 quite easily um because we just sacked it off as soon as we went to go down um and you didn't see any of that yesterday as Adam correctly alludes to and uh just really quick on I think it was Manquio, I think the reason he got hooked you know wasn't because of the pen I think it was because he was absolutely blowing, and there was a point when like you say Adam Shelby um D. R. May, Atsu or, or Murphy, one of the two, were all pressing Manchester City and then kind of there was that really easy out ball available down our left. And I think Shelby turned around and was like, well, where the hell are you? to Manquio?" And he was just nagged. He was just absolutely <laughs> blowing, like trying to keep up with their rapid
2: Sana is like a real handful at, at, yeah. at, at this season. He's been brilliant. He's really improved there uh, under Pep Guardiola. And you look, he, he was a threat sort of every time. I and mean, you just see for the... the um. Was it the, the third goal? Uh, absolutely rinses about three people in. Just at, at some point, like the, the quality is going to tell. Um, so, I, and I think I mean, you, you could see Markeo He was holding his uh, side, wasn't he? When he when he came off,
1: um, after the pen. Like, so it's it's frustrating, but I think he he did as well as he, he could um, given his <laughs> his ability. Only was that, was that Sane dribble? Was that amazing
4: technique or? Were well, you a bit disappointed that he managed to sort of bamboozle about five of our players and and all of our players? It's just before he passed, like crossed it. Three of our players kind of ran towards him. It was kind of like school, like school playground. Everyone runs towards the ball, and then suddenly, I, 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 got Sterling, and Aguero marked at the back post, But it's like yeah. two on one. I, I don't know what it to was, make of that. I'm in two I months. mean, it was Diorme was the one who went flying in, sort of sprint.
2: But I mean, that that that's what you get with pace. I mean, he. He obviously burnt Diarmé, sort of left him for dead, and diarme has got a sprint to get back. Well, I don't know many people that can stop on a on a sort of a six print after sprinting full full pelt. So obviously he went flying past. I think Yedlin got some eggs in there as well. Like it's, it's just <laughs> for good measure. <laughs> it, exactly. It was just it was just class from from Sunny. I don't think you can criticise everyone like them too much. I mean, as I say, there were as as you would say, it was they were all sort of. Um, Putting all the, the, the full effort into it, and it, it's unfortunately you're going to get instances like that where just a bit of class, a bit of composure from Sané, he was able to um, to, to sort of make us look look a bit foolish. But I think that's just good play. I, I wouldn't be criticising anybody particularly for that.
1: It's like Rafa said, it, isn't it? Rafa said that in his post-match uh, press conference, he said that the third goal, he wasn't going to pay too much attention to it because we would committed a lot of players forward. Players had to get back, were out of position. And you know what? Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Ben, I've come to you. You know, at two one, did you? I mean, first of all, let's talk about the goal, Some passed by Kieran Clark and some finish. Oh,
2: um, um, I mean, we we said Murphy. Murphy actually uh, grew into the game quite well, and he was he was probably one of the the bright spots of of that performance. I thought, um every opportunity he had to run at Otto Mendy, I mean, he obviously Otto Mendy's probably um <laughs> nowhere near to the the standard of some of the better defenders in the league, and he and he sort of shows that when he's isolated on his own. He doesn't, he, you don't get many opportunities. And obviously, I think uh, last week against Liverpool, he got shown up a bit. Murphy had him every opportunity. He was, he was running at him and um, he looked he looked a real threat again. And it was just unfortunate that we're, I think at the point where we were coming into the game, at the end, we were just obviously a bit too blowing and nobody could get up to support him. Um, but we, we, we did. I mean, as I alluded to sort of for the, the first question, there was a period of the game where we had about ten or fifteen minutes after we scored, where we we we, we had a few opportunities, and obviously the way we we, we were playing, we were looking for that counter attack um, as they pushed on. I think what Man City um, their their real weaknesses is that back forward defensively, that they're, they're just not not none of them are really defenders. Um, I mean Stones is <laughs> it's obviously everyone gives him a lot of products for the way he brings the ball out and whatnot, but. Um, I think he can be got at, and Otamendi, I, I, I just don't really know. Um, sort of what he, he doesn't belong in a team of, of that caliber. When people are talking about them as potentially being one of the best ever Premier League teams, Otamendi is not not that.
1: <laughs> so that's, in, that's in, them. In that that's, Man, so, um, that's Man City's defense we, put to bed.
2: We, we yeah. were there to be got at for a, in a couple of occasions, and I think we, we looked dangerous at times, and we did really well in that aspect.
1: Yep, and uh, side. do you think that, will maybe, you know, Diarmé, obviously, people think he should have pulled it back because Hossloo was unmarked for that first shot that um, the keeper parried, or do you think, you know what, let's give him a bit of credit for for bundling his way through with sheer willpower and desire <laughs> to create something well, yeah. like that?
3: <laughs> I'm not going to get at him because I thought his overall performance was very good, but we were, we were screaming at him to pass the ball, like, he, he has to, he has to, uh, there's, there's, I think, two options, one either side and he's just... We've got a lot of that at the minute. We've got players who are so desperate to prove themselves, especially with with Rafa. It's, it's hard to get in these good books, so he obviously just want to try and get it himself. And yeah, I, was, I mean, I it, was it was, I was a good it was a good opportunity where he got he found himself. He, I mean, I, do, I don't really
2: blame him for having the the initial first shot. Yes, but a bit of composure, I think you, you probably look up. But I'd, I'm not gonna blame him for for taking that on. He was he found himself in a great spot. Um, had a good opportunity. I mean. A, <laughs> I, don't, I don't
4: don't don't think there's many players that would be passing there to be honest so no I've got to agree with you I think Diarmé created the chance for himself and in that situation he's got sight on goal Edison's come out and I think and quite rightly so he picked the right option because I don't think even though Perez I don't think he was like massively unmarked but I think that Diarmé had more chance of just being a to blast the ball towards goal than he was of picking out a really meticulous pass to Perez's feet so I think he he went for percentages, and uh, I think he probably did the right thing. And hey, Edison was uh, Edison was shaking when he when he dropped that. That was really uncharacteristic. That, I, mean, I really like your comment about not a Man City's defenders actually being defenders. I mean, it's 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 completely true. And to the point
1: that Edison's probably like a defensive midfielder, <laughs> like what's well, uh, forward ahead of that. So, if, if there's yeah, what, good comment. Man. One bloke will have been smiling, it'll be the other Simon Trope, uh, who's sometimes on the show who uh, give gave the Man City the keeper a very hard time. On the the other Man City game podcast that we did um, Boxing Day, or whatever that was, um, you know, massive hilarious flap. Uh, after he saved the Army's shot, which could have could have turned into something special, but I suppose there's there's a lot of teams that go to Man City who just aren't in the game by half time. And I think, like Sai, because I'm going to come to Adam very soon about a long subject, so I'm not just ignoring you, Adam, for questions. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Cy si, BT and the BT pundits in particular were were a lot more mature. In their assessment of the game in Newcastle at the minute, do you think that's why? Why do you think that is? I was really surprised to see them kind of praise Newcastle's performance to an extent, um, and then say that you know the team needs players. The the kind of things that we all know are true, but the kind of total antithesis of what Sky provided us with—disgrace uh, their to the league pattern for Boxing Day or the day after Boxing Day. <laughs> I mean, day. I wonder if
3: I wonder if they've seen the hypocrisy of of how of how the media responded to the first game. Because it is ridiculous. Well, we we talked about this, didn't we, si? Yeah, it's it's almost like the new. Well, we can't just we can't just say that again because it is it is bang out of order. But I don't know. I, I thought I quite like Lampard. I thought he was very 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 realistic about how he described the game. Even Rio Ferdinand was actually he sounded quite sensible. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but yeah, um, the the coverage of the game while the the the, the brought of the possession starts so much like. Here's a stat for you: eighty-five percent possession. It's like, yeah, we get it. We're under the cosh. We had been for about ten minutes. It was late in the second half. Here's a stat for you: last ten minutes, eighty-five percent. Yeah, we're well, fucking no man watching the game. Like, <laughs> they, don't, they don't need to keep going on about it. It's like yes, the one team here is dominating. That happens in football, like the home team who are much superior are dominating at possession for a bit. Like, so. They didn't. They didn't entirely
4: stay away from it, but they, they, I thought the totally commentator funny. was was terrible in that sense. And when when they, during the offside goal, he was like, "Oh, Newcastle got away with that one." I'm thinking, "No, they haven't, because they cheated to score because they're offside." Yep. That's the exactly. rules of the game. And also, <laughs> there was there was a Man City attack, and he goes, uh, "Newcastle with ten men behind the ball here." I'm just like, "Oh Christ, <laughs> no man! Need. Of course no. we are. <laughs> they're on the edge of the box, man. It's what Man you City." <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a, I, think, I think to be fair, Ben called it earlier. Like Man City didn't really
3: have any chances, so the, there wasn't much else to talk about. So when you when you want to talk about how great Man City are, you know they've got Man City on the on the 5:30 kickoff game. They, they want to give loads of analysis. They've got nothing to go on because we didn't really give them much in the first half. So all they can talk about is is these stats. And to be fair, I think they had about 20 corners and we had zero corners in the whole game. But there are some interesting you know, stats there. But you know what our thoughts are? That's all they've
1: got. I thought that I thought our set piece. Um, defending was absolutely brilliant. You know, Miguel uh, Antio earned his, earned his thirty quid a week. Whatever Ashley's got him on, like really, really good. <laughs> like the the set piece, it was it was clear. Would would looked at Kevin De Bruyne's delivery, and how he takes particularly his outswing. Isn't it? There was a point I think at the um at the end of the first half where they were literally passing back from corners back to the halfway line because they were so ineffectual from dead balls that we defended them so well that um they were like right we have to start taking them short so. Well done there, well done lads, that was really good. Just really quickly on uh, Rafa, he's got this, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, he's got this really uh, funny kind of facial tick or expression when he when he kind of, he wants. He's, he's being polite, but he's also kind of saying fuck off and die at the same time. I'm sure he wouldn't say something <laughs> as nasty as that, that's me, but um, the, the commentator after the game, or whoever interviewed him after the game was like, Rafa, 18% possession was it something that you had to do, and he, and he just went, yes, but uh, I don't care. <laughs> and then he does this little smile, and he moves his chin up, like almost like a little laugh. It's beautiful. Someone watch whenever he gets asked a question that like, he just thinks is like ridiculous. He does this little like little smile and moves his like head up a tiny fraction. It's like this little tick that basically you know the commentator, the interviewer has made a massive faux pas with a ridiculous question. But I love the fact where he was like. Yes, but to be fair, I don't care. <laughs> like, couldn't give a toss about possession. Like, no one cares. We've got to do what we've got to Glad. do, lads. Yeah, so, Adam, you've done, a, you were telling us before, you've done an hour blog on your own channel, which, um, you know, people will be able to find. I'm sure you'll tell them how. Um, on the takeover in your before we, or supposed or alleged takeover, which may or may not be happening, before we've come on out today, uh, the media has uh, had news of supposed new... Five-year contract for Rafa Benitez which is going to be offered uh, to him by the club. He's also been promised three first-team players to improve the team by Mike Ashley with money not being an object. Where does that all feed into your analysis of things about where we are with all that?
4: <laughs> well, it's, this is classic uh, Mike Ashley PR machine in full, in full flow. Um, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, the Since the... the, the, the we can only propose a suppose a a, a drunken Mike Ashley called Sky Sports earlier in the week, um, claiming that the takeover was off, um, but then and and saying that PCP were time wasters. Stavely obviously played played the the PR game herself, and I think she was entitled to do so to defend herself with George Colkin in the Times. But then there was another response to that, a very significant one that. That, that, that Mike Ashley wasn't aware of this third bid that actually was lodged on the 17th of November. Now, this is two months ago, and Mike Ashley's been off on a Vegas bender since then. So when he talks about these negotiations being exhaustive and frustrating, how, how would he know he's not, he's not been anywhere near it? I mean, the, the quotes from from Amanda Stavlin, actually quite significantly her husband and the partner in uh, PCP, um, who is Murdad G- Godusi beautiful please forgive the um, the pronunciation there two really important points um, he echoes what Amanda Staveley says about the how integral Rafa is to any deal and you can see from the details of the three um, bids that were lodged that there was a stipulation in each of the three of them that Rafa was there as manager um, and he, he said so Gadusi said, uh, "You need a world-class manager. If Rafa isn't there at the end of the season, we would have to rethink this transaction." So that's really significant because that's almost putting um, a lot of pressure on Mike Ashley, who I think, given the, the behaviour in the last week, is becoming increasingly erratic. Um, I know I know Mick Martin was um, offering some great insight on there on the on the, the podcast in the week, and he is running scared. And I don't think. Regardless of what he says about, uh no, the takeover's dead. We're not talking to them anymore. He can't afford to walk away from this because there's no, there is no other bids in town. Even though he's trying to deceive everybody, there are no other bids on the table. At this, at the, at the minute, 250 million, no clauses, is the best he's got, and he knows it. And if Rafa thinks that Mike Ashley's not going to get anywhere close to selling the club. He's probably going to be let down in this transfer window, regardless of what Mike Ashley's come out and said anyway. I mean, this is it. Mike Ashley... If Mike Ashley told Rafa Benitez two, three weeks ago that the takeover was dead, what the hell have we been doing for two or three weeks? I guarantee it's not been Rafa holding up any processes. Rafa would have been trying, wanting to get deals in place a month from a month ago, you know? But the other most significant thing that uh, Godusi has come out and said is that even relegation from the Premier League would not alter the appetite for the club Although the price would be impacted substantially as long as Benitez remained manager, again, adding so much more pressure to Mike Ashley to say that they're not going anywhere. So you can accept a, a bid lower than you want now, or you can wait six months. We might get relegated because of your lack of investment over a decade, and we'll just we'll still buy it off you, but we'll knock a hundred million off the off, off the price. So it's the, the ball is massively in Mike Ashley's court, and I think it's a case of him. It's, a, it's an internal battle for Mike Ashley between his ego and pride versus logic and what he actually wants to do. I think he wants to escape Newcastle. We all do. But he wants he doesn't want his pride damaged. PCP might have to up that game as well. But important to, to note that this third bid wasn't a take it or leave it. PCP seemed to be here for the long run. And I don't see this takeover story being over by a long shot just yet.
1: Very interesting. Very well. Well put, Adam. Um, Cy, you know, reports of a, a new contract. Can you seriously see Rafa Benitez signing a contract with a bloke who's lied to him on more than one occasion? No,
3: <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine. I'd imagine this is the first Rafa's heard of this new contract as well. In in the media, um, I'd, I i do not know. I don't know. What's what's weird about all of this is how calm Rafa's been. And I don't know if it's him just being the bigger man now. Like When asked about transfers, he just kind of brushes off the questions and goes, yeah, we're trying to do something. The ball's in their court. We need to sort it. He doesn't, he's not getting as angry or frustrated as he has done the previous two transfer windows when he was visibly fuming. And that, that to me, says there's still something going on in the background that, that Rafa believes is happening or that there's just more more still to the story. So that's encouraging. Um, he won't sign a new contract unless unless there's some sort of concrete proof that that
1: we're going somewhere it doesn't make any sense No I agree I think the gar- the Guardian have reported that and this has been report- reported as well um, before now but that uh, it would cost Rafa £6 million to walk away um, before the last 12 months of his contract so before the summer it would cost him or another club £6 million. Uh, you know I mean the Guardian obviously reporting it in good faith for a fairly reliable source um, you know for, from any castle perspective it would make sense certainly for my Ashley to Offer him a pay rise and try and extend that feature of, of the contract so that he can't leave, um, you know, if the takeover is as important. Um, You know, there's been, Adam, just I'll, I'll ask you quickly, there's been a little bit of criticism on social media towards PCP. Um, Luke Edwards in particular has been critical of them. Um, George Colton obviously went and met Amanda Stavley and wrote an excellent piece in the Times. It's on NUFC.com if people aren't behind that paywall of uh, the Times do you, do you think there's any valid criticism of her in this, um, Adam? Because obviously it's uh, Mike Ashley set his price at £300 million and she hasn't managed to meet it. So if you're not going to meet it, then stop playing games.
4: Look, I think one thing that we we, we, we we can say is that we don't really know much about PCP and Amanda Stavely. We, we, we don't have the background of them that we do on Mike Ashley. What we do know about Mike Ashley, though, is that he is a proven liar and in a court of law, twice. So I'm more inclined, as much as you can't be naive to think that PCP and Amanda with with an with, with interview with George aren't playing the game, I still think there's more merit in what she says and credibility in what she says. And the fact that the intentions of what they're saying... I mean, you know, she gives a nice soundbite about you know passionate fans and... It's such a, it would be so important for the city. You know, you could you could argue they're very easy sound bites, but it's sound bites that you never hear from them from the mouth of our current owner, Mike Ashley. When was the last time he, he he praised us for our passion for and that we deserve better? When when was the last time he actually did that with sincerity? Never. So we've got to compare the two. I think that um you know there's people saying, well, you know, if he if he's asking for three hundred million, why don't you just pay for three hundred million? And the the, the counter argument to that is. You know, I think the crux of why this has stung Ashley is that he's forged his uh, retail empire based on preying on fallen companies, um, damaged goods, basically, getting them for a pretty penny and turning them into um, profitable businesses again. Now, significantly, Amanda Stavely and PCP seem to be doing this to him now because... Newcastle united with its couple of relegations and the fact that the facilities haven't been upgraded um training ground academy all under mike ashley's tenure he's let he's let his product deteriorate over time and he's neglected it That's um a key point. Well, well exactly and, and and so with you know she why they sorry what i'm trying to say is they're very good businessmen and business people, and they're looking for value. It doesn't matter how much they've got, how much they might have billions back in them, but they wouldn't be the business people that they are without trying to find value. This is what Mike Ashley's done for his whole career. He's found value, and he wouldn't pay more than he than, than is necessary. So he's suddenly taken offence to the fact that P C P are kind of the rules are reversed. There's a big player in town, and he's suddenly not in control of this transaction. And I think he's running scared and. The fact, I mean, you know, think about it. You know, if you've you got a 20-quid note in your, in your in your back pocket and you're walking at Greg's, you're not going to buy a steak bake for £15. Pounds. Why? Because it's not worth £15. Pounds. Do you really want a steak bake? Yeah, I really want a steak bake. The classic, <coughs> especially if it's just come out of the oven. Nice piping hot, lovely steak, nice pastry casing, lovely stuff. But I'm not paying £15 pounds for it because it doesn't represent good value. And I think for those, I, I, I still believe that PCP will up their offer. I think the next increment will probably be closer to £275 million, and I think that's significant because it goes over the £263 million that Mike Ashley paid for the club in the first place, alongside his £129 million loan. So I think that is the golden number to get, a, to, to get over um, if he's to walk away. Because again, it's about nursing his pride, and if he can walk away and say, well, I sold it for slightly more than I, pay, you know, than I paid for it, that that's going to that's gonna help, but Ashley's on the ropes. Make no mistake about that.
1: Don't get any idea, Gregs, if you're listening. £15 steak bakes. <laughs> um, the bloody inflation in Greg's uh, pasties and, and bakes over the years is, uh, is a national scandal, but no one seems to want to talk about it. But um, well, so hopefully, I didn't put them, put them to uh, rights there. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Adam, you, you, the, the figure there you, you quoted as interesting that £263 million quid because you know Mike Ashley has a lot of money i mean it's all wallpaper as he's told us but he doesn't he doesn't need money to exist and he might, he might want more money to get 263 million pounds back potentially or close to it after the utter pig's ear you've made of it doubling the debt from 71 or 72 million to 140 million whatever it is now two relegations possibly a third a generation of fans lost from the club um you know commercial revenue Falling in a time of unprecedented riches for football clubs, match day, admissions tickets, you know that revenue falling, because obviously the
4: state. When out the status of our club is that we're a yo-yo club. Before he came, we
1: were a stable mid we're, mid-table club. We're underperforming. We're, we're, under so we're damaged Damage the reputation, and that's de- therefore
4: damaged the credibility of the product. It's like uh, Alan Partridge with his Rawlinson's Terry's chocolate orange with their uh, superficial damage to the
1: boxes. <laughs> But, yeah, I suppose, like, to, I'm going to play devil's advocate again. I think what's maybe been put at Stavley as well, or certainly our husband who made those comments, is they're saying they have £200 million to invest in Newcastle United, whether that be transfers, infrastructure upgrade, training ground upgrade. I mean, everyone talks about the training ground, and they're absolutely spot on, by the way. The, the fucking ground, the ground looks exactly the same as it did in 2002. That's not a good thing. Like, it's it, it's had, it has had a lick of paint in about 15 years and it's it's gone from one of the best stadium in, stadiums in English football, to, in my opinion, to starting to look a bit dated inside and out. Um, so there's all sorts of thing things that need improved. But I think an argument Adam would be that well, if you've got this extra two hundred million to put into it, if it costs you three hundred million, if that's the asking price, would you not be best maybe investing taking fifty million off what you've got to get the club, keep them in the Premier League this season, compared to putting two hundred million pound in as a Championship club. When financial fair play comes into it, that would be a, a no, serious problem for anyone no, no, trying to invest. That,
2: was that what Luke? I think Luke Edwards was saying that, wasn't he? He was trying to sort of have a pop saying, "You, you know what the asking price is." You're saying you've got all this money. Like the way he was sort of looking at it was, do they actually have the money available if they're sort of sticking over the price? But I think what Adam's been saying is is absolutely right. That the, I'm sure they've got the money, but why would they wait? Why would they want to, money that they want to invest in the club and it's actually going to be of use to the future of the club? Why would they want to spend that? um
4: on on the past of, of, of something that's um unnecessary uh, we're just uh, we're basically rewarding mike ashley for his incompetence by giving him an extra 50 million in his back pocket exactly. exactly. absolutely right that money should be in the club it shouldn't be going to mike ashley who's made it he's made an absolute hash of this club the last decade and and they're right to play hardball and it's important to mention i i, I totally see the point if they've got the money just restructure it and but we've got to remember we are still in negotiations. They, a fourth bid is absolutely inevitable. So let's see what happens with the fourth bid to see where their intentions are. But they're not going anywhere. The deal is not dead. Whatever Mike Ashley wants to say, I don't believe it for a second. He can't afford this deal to be dead. We're still in negotiations. There's a long way to go yet. And I think we'll get closer. They'll get closer to what Mike Ashley wants. And I, But I, I really... I resent the fact that people are just so, so easily willing, and I know that it, what it means. It's it's more about getting him out the club, and it's almost like a, uh, like a, you know, a, a, a tax to get him out. But the, the the idea that it just goes back into his pocket because he didn't invest that in the first place. Oh, that really it really gets to me. That it really does.
1: Yep, and it's um, it's the same for me, and I've kind of just moved on from. Getting angry at Mike Ashley as bad as that is, maybe maybe more anger at Mike Ashley's needed from the fan base. But I just I just I don't think that I mean they they've done, unlike him, they've done due diligence. They've looked through the club's account and they've come they've come up with a value and I'm sure that value, is, um, proper well put together and you know correctly assessed. I just think me I just think there's no way Mike Ashley was ever ever gonna accept less than two hundred and sixty three million quid. Now, you're completely right with your assertions that, well, why should that matter to anyone? Why should what Mike Ashley thinks or what Mike Ashley does or whatever his mistakes, why should they have to be compensated by someone else rather than that money going to the football club? And that's true, but we're still, here we are on the 20th of January. We've not signed any players where, you know, I think if Southampton get a point today, we'll be level on points with the team in the relegation zone, which would be Stoke and Brighton. I'm um, not saying Southampton we'll get a result, but it's it's really really looking perilous, and I don't know about you, Ben. Like you know, yesterday's results weren't great. Stoke picked up three points. We could have done with a draw there. I mean, obviously it brings Huddersfield closer into it, and um, West Brom got an unexpected point in Everton. They could have had all three. They seem to be on the move, and they've they've moved within three points of us. You know, Ben, are you are you are you more worried than you were pre-game yesterday about Newcastle staying up, and is it still very much dependent on signings, or are you confident either way?
2: i not. I wouldn't say I'm more worried after yesterday because I, I I think I've been pretty much pragmatic out There, I'm I'm of the opinion that it's it's Swansea probably done, and then it's it's one of the relegation teams. I think you you can see um, the impact of sort of so some of the, the teams down there have changed managers. I mean, you've already seen, you've seen Watford have
1: so-
4: gone
2: um, yesterday. Everton, um, I mean, Southampton probably won't be be far away, uh, depending on what happens over sort of the next couple of weeks. Uh, West Brom have already done it. There's a there's a lot of the the sort of more established Premier League teams like have, have acted quickly, and I think the sort of the difficulty of the Championship teams is that they know they've they've sort of got to stick with the managers they've got because they've got them to this level. I mean, especially for bright, if you look at Brighton and Huddersfield, I, I mean Brighton and okay, K probably we're, were hoping to get up, but there's no chance Huddersfield expect to get promoted last year. So if they were to get rid of the um, uh, what's he called? Warner, isn't it? David Warner. Um, uh, is it is that his name? Wagner. David <laughs> Wagner. Sorry.
1: Dave Warner, the fucking wanker <laughs> <at> Australian. <laughs> little <laughs> <actor. Yeah. laughs> that,
2: that little prick. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: no Wagner, like they, they, they can't really change him, and I mean, even if they did, like, who who would they who who would they bring in um, that would understand the, the club? I mean, he's he's what he's done there, so I think they're sort of going to have to stick with what they've got and just try and hope for the best. Now, you've seen the results turning against them. I mean, the pair of them have started to take a few hiding. So, I think that's, that looking at, especially at go back to the City result, that's what's good um, that I'm sort of keeping my hope on, is that we're not really getting any hammerings off anybody. Um, you start to see they they're starting to get taken apart a bit. And I think it's that that lack of Premier League um, experience that's sort of hindering them. That when, when they go down, they, they, they take a hammering. and I think we, me and Adam were talking last week, actually, after the Stoke game. Um, the goal difference could could play a big impact with it being so tight that it it will be worth sort of an extra point. So, um, yes, I mean there's there were a couple of results yesterday that were a bit unfortunate, but I think you, you'd expect that, that the table's probably to sort of take in shape that you probably would have expected pre pre season that the teams that have had really bad starts are actually starting to sort themselves out now. I mean you look at Moisey at West Ham, they're starting to pick up some some. Um, real sort of momentum and they're playing quite well at the minute and um, we've, we've managed to take we've managed to take our six points off them um, which which was brilliant but I think they're going to start um, building and I think it's going to be a case where this, the, the established Premier League teams are probably going to um, start to pull away a bit so I think it's just a case of we've just got to, to make sure that we're uh, managing the situation in terms of um, looking at the teams around us making sure that we pick up points that we can I mean the, the disappointing thing is that the home form's not been as good and we've probably missed a couple of opportunities in some games um, that that were, were probably needed but, but there's, there's plenty plenty more to, to play for there's a long way to go and I think uh, I'll back raffer over any of the uh, the other ones that are around us so I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll be alright
1: Huddersfield's next two games are Liverpool and Man United whereas we have um Burnley and Palace, so we simply have to make ground on them. Um in, in my opinion. So I think I think Huddersfield and Brighton are are, the, are probably in for that last relegation place. Um West Brom have given themselves a chance with a good a good run in the last few games, picking up a lot of draws, West Brom. Um obviously they've got that key win against uh, Brighton last time out, and obviously they've got Man West brom got Man City and Chelsea in the next three games. So there, there is a real chance for us to push on. Um time will tell. You know, if Newcastle don't bring in any players um, in this transfer window, then it goes d- down, in my opinion, as uh, the greatest act of negligence in Mike Ashley's tenure. And I will include a point and joke in here in that, um, because we'll have the manager <laughs> now that guarantees success if you give him the players um, to to shape. And I mean, the real worry for me, lads, is that we don't really have any injuries. I know I've got Lejeune and Mbembe out, but they probably wouldn't be in the first team anyway. We don't have any first team injuries. And that's, again, that's a stark contrast to the last time we were in the Premier League when we constantly had 10 to 12 to 13 first team players out injured. We constantly had no goalkeepers. There was just, the whole club was a mess. And that isn't the case right now. And that's really positive. And as Adam said earlier, these lads are playing for the manager so clearly and so evidently that all we need is a little bit of injection of quality. You know, people talk about Daniel Sturridge on loan injury prone, but fucking hell. Imagine the boost against Burnley if Daniel Sturridge was playing for Newcastle or even Danny Ings or, you know, anyone. Kennedy, like, it's just mental, isn't it? The, that, that game, if there are no new players against Burnley at home, that game could turn very ugly very quickly if we don't get a positive performance and result towards those in charge. And I've heard there allegations in the media. I think Mark Douglas said that. The hierarchy at and Jameses have realised that. And that, more than anything else, more than... Anything to do with actually improving the team might force the hand. But time will tell. Lads, I think we've just about exhausted uh, the options to talk about today. Fair, fair play to Paul Dummer, by the way. I don't think we mentioned him. He was absolutely fucking brilliant yesterday. Uh, <laughs> get some stick <laughs> off, could I just, uh, Sorry, can I just uh, say, if you want to
4: hear me um, chat some more crap about the takeover, it'll be up on my YouTube channel if you just search The Tune Network. Cheers.
1: Yeah, no problem. Everyone should go and do that. Um also keep an eye for our uh pre and post game videos which Adam also features in. Um <laughs> Bollins, Norman and Charlotte haven't made today's podcast, no wonder looking at the state of them. And, uh, <laughs> in uh in the video yesterday, I reckon it had one or two half pints of San Miguel. Um but it's a really good video and uh keep an eye, so we'll always try and have a, a team selection reaction video live on Twitter and uh, a post-match video on Twitter um as well. So keep an eye. So thanks everyone for, for listening. We'll have a Chelsea preview. I mean, what a week it's been, you know, who knows what there'll be to talk about this Wednesday before the Chelsea game. Um, maybe the club will have been sold, maybe not. Maybe we'll sign some players, maybe not. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and we will be back with you soon.
4: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE.